Hi, everyone. You're listening to Superwomen. This is Rebecca. This is a special one for me today. I'm interviewing Latham Thomas. She helped me deliver all three of my babies. She was my doula. And so when someone has been there doing that for you, I think it's a bond that never goes away. We're going to talk about all things birth, also the abysmal female mortality rates in the United States, and also that more women of color are dying in childbirth at escalating rates and what we can do about it. So I hope you like this special episode with me and Latham. So I'm with Latham Thomas. Special interview for so many reasons. One, because she helped me deliver all my children. And two, because I think when you have a connection like that, it's hard to not feel anything special for a person. Yeah. But we're also going to be talking about a really serious epidemic happening in all over the world, but especially in America. So we can just, I would love to hear like you, what you do when I say deliver babies, what that means. Sure. Why your role is so important. Yeah. Well, first, I just want to thank you for having me on. I'm so proud of you. It's been amazing because we've had such a, like this expansive relationship over so many years and to see the kids growing. It's incredible because I remember when they were just, when they were ideas, like, I think I might have another baby. Right. And so to see you where you are now and how it's also helped you to um, really step into, I think, your business leadership and and the work that you do that's so supportive of women is incredible. So I'm just so thankful to be here and I'm so proud of you. Um, And yeah, I think, you know, we often get to talk about in a more, I think, in a comfortable and relaxed and casual way, the the beauty and the mystery and the magic um, and bliss of childbirth. And there's another side to that and we know that there's a growing movement around being honest about untold stories and, and telling the truth about a lot of experiences that women have. And, and the fact that we sometimes shield women from information that could not just enhance their um, experience, but also save their lives. And so one of the big issues um, that's been on a 25-year increase in the United States has been the maternal mortality crisis, specifically in the African-American community among Black women. and it's been since, I would say, in the past two years when ProPublica and uh, the New York Times put out their seminal reports and reported on the issue and really put a face to the name or a face to the issue by profiling women who were impacted by uh, maternal mortality. I think it sparked not only interest, but rage, right? And also confusion for many people because it's not reported on, right? You don't see on the news when you hear about like all the horrible things that are happening in the news, you don't hear like, oh, a woman died in childbirth today in New York City, right? It's right. just not something you hear. And, you know, the the stats are, and many people know the information now, but just to share for those who don't know, in the sort of national Average looks something like black women are three to four times more likely to die during childbirth or due to childbirth related causes than white women. Um, But when you get to New York City, that number grows by 12 times. Holy shit. Yeah. So which is crazy. But what it looks like is two women could go into the same place to deliver and have completely different experiences. And so it's safer to deliver really in the developing world for Black women than it, or at home than in a hospital in, in terms of statistics. So what that looks like in numbers is like 700 to 900 
deaths annually, maternal deaths, right? And so that's a super high number, especially for a country with all the resources that we have. And we have so many policy gaps, right? Which make it really challenging for people who are doing the work to improve birth outcomes. But what is so important, I think, is, um, you know, the role of a doula to be there on the front lines to really help um, parents navigate, to advocate, and to ask questions, to be better partners in their health. And a lot of times doulas can see things before doctors see them because we have um, an intimate relationship with the families. We sometimes see where there's gaps in, in care and can help be partners with the hospitals or health providers, healthcare providers to uh, address these issues with mothers. And so, and and it's not just, you know, people think, oh, well, it must be a rural community or it must be poor women. But we know that the research shows that um, Black women aren't protected by income level, by education, like none of that protects them from I mean, from look at fatalities. Serena Williams, right? I think that exactly. opened the floodgates when she was like, I'm going to die right. if you like, don't I listen to, to me. Get out of my bed and request, you know, to have a scan with, I mean, it's incredible, right? That she, who you would think has the all of the money and all of the stature to be able to walk into a facility and have things go the way she planned and um, and have a completely different outcome, right? And one that I think sparks not only this question of like, well, what does it take to like improve um, these conditions for women, but why, how do we get here to begin with? Right. Right. I think we're at a really pivotal point, you know, in, in culture. And I think that right now is a really important time for us to collectively put pressure on our elected officials to make sure that everyone has a plan in place um, to address the maternal health crisis in this country and specifically what's happening in the Black community. Because if we can find a way to specifically improve these these outcomes for Black women, then everybody's health will improve, right? All women will do well because we know that these are like the canaries in the mine, right? So I think that right now, every single candidate that's up for election needs to have a plan, right? And uh, there was actually a report, um, I think uh, Self Magazine actually did an entire Black maternal mortality issue, wow. which is out now with Allison Felix on the cover. So that's a really great resource. But to see like that this reporting is is going not only into what we see as you know, our our news feed, but also mainstream and popular culture, it's starting to like really take root. Just for our listeners, what is the difference between a doula and a midwife? Because also people get that confused. Sure. So a doula provides um, emotional support, physical support, advocacy, educational support, partner support. Pain for, management. Yes, pain management, which is also part of that. Um, and it's all non-clinical. They also do advocacy work. So they help the mother to be able to speak for herself um, in uh, making decisions. They also help mothers to understand consent and what that means in a birth setting. They don't provide any clinical support. It just so happens that if you're on your way to a birth and you're in a car and a doula is there, I guess she's delivering your baby, but that's not the plan, right? The plan is to not do clinical work. The midwife comes in and does everything that a doctor would do 
except for or OBGYN, or sorry, I should say an obstetrician, except for a surgical delivery, right? So when the delivery is going to move towards a C-section, that's when you have a very skilled surgeon who's involved and they do that work. But leading up to that, a midwife can do everything. Midwives also are not afraid of different presentations like breach, right? Where the baby's born butt or feet first, which is in um, most hospitals in the United States, are it's terrifying and that they actually schedule you for a C-section when those are normal birth presentations as well. So um, they're really skilled at navigating the pelvis. They use a more sort of rhythmic and natural and women-centric type of uh, set of tools and practices to help navigate the birth process. Um, But it is deeply connected to um, evidence-based research and always using, you know, if there's anything that you need in terms of tests or, or any markers for anything, they certainly do that for you. But it's a slower birth, right? It's a slower more integrated way to go through the process, right? And it's actually sometimes in a hospital setting, you can work with midwives as well, but most people tend to work in birth centers or home births with midwives. As someone that's been uh, at a hospital delivered uh, for women of color and white women, what is the difference you see when you walk into that setting and how women are treated? Well, it's interesting because there's so many differences that are like really subtle because they come in the form of microaggressions where, um, so we'll see different types of bias show up, right? And so it can show up as like disrespect or ridicule. It can show up as negligence. So for instance, when you come in and someone, if you're younger, so I guess I should mention some of the different profiles, right? Which we, where we might see the bias show up. So for age, for instance, right? So if someone's really young, like a 16 or 17 year old woman going in, she's treated completely differently than someone who might be college educated in their thirties having their baby. And also on the other side of that, somebody who's in their forties will also be treated differently than someone who they consider like um, normal childbearing age, um, someone who's sort of like, as they call geriatric, um, geriatric in pregnancy. Old ass ladies given birth. Right. Which is like completely <laughs> horrifying um, nomenclature. Um, so we'll see that. We'll see it. Um, at, we'll see sometimes race conflated with um, income, right? So sometimes people will think like, oh, because you are this particular background, you must not have money, right? Because you're Latina or you're Black, you must not be able to afford good care, which probably correlates with your insurance, which means that like, we're not probably going to make a lot of money on this birth. So why invest a lot of energy? You also could see that play out, um, obviously, in terms of racial or ethnic identification, right? Wherever you sit on that continuum, whatever marginalized group you identify with, Um, Also, we see it with immigrants, right? People who um, may not have facility over the English language. And so they're um, in broken English trying to communicate. And so that's like a gap where somebody might just kind of override some of your um, wishes and you feel coerced into making certain choices because you don't have the knowledge base or the support there. And then also, I think like um, gender and um, if you're on the sort of LGBTQ 
LGBTQIA spectrum where you'll find people who are gender nonconforming or people who might be same-sex couples, people like can't wrap their head around it, and you'll see sort of um, mistreatment there. So I think that there's so many areas um, and so many people impacted, but don't. there's not really like a conversation where people get to talk about it or get to rate their practitioners. And there's a new um, incredible app that just launched by Kimberly Sills Allers, um, who's an incredible breastfeeding advocate. She wrote the book, The Big Letdown, and um, she launched this app called Earth, I-R-T-H. And it's like birth without the B, so dropping the B for bias. And it, what it does, it's like a Yelp for practitioners. And so instead of just rating hospitals and going to their board and complaining, through this app, which I think was um, funded by MIT, she won a bunch of um, competitions there. In this app, you can start to talk about like what's happened to you, what you experienced. And if I'm like, okay, I'm a mother, I'm African-American, I'm of this age bracket, of this income level, I live in this area, I can type in that information and I can see practitioners that people with similar profiles used so that we can all have we can all choose the best providers for ourselves based on what our needs are and and really look at i think changing a system by uh how you decide where you put your money right like who you decide to hire where you decide to work and also the other piece to that right like is really looking at um who are who's the next generation of providers like who are going to be the people who lead the hospitals and who lead the charge and actually it's going to be millennials and what's so amazing about them when i work when i go into the hospitals i see people who are really versed in this language who are really interested in learning about bias and learning about anti-racism and learning about how they can be better and how they can transform a lot of the things that have been happening in hospitals for so long, right? Which has been totally unchecked because we know that the foundation of our modern medical system has not changed. It's been entrenched in racism and bias since the beginning. And so for us to make changes, we have to actually dismantle what was you know, created to begin with and replace it with something better. And so I think that this next generation, it's really important to pour into the new leaders too, to to look at them. Like I go in and teach first and second year med students about how we can improve the experience for women and what it's like to give birth in these hospitals and almost like give them a report card without like singling them out, but share the stories that women have and share some of the um, feedback that people have without them having to do it themselves and, and also come up with toolkits and strategies and some of the things that we can change around even their protocol. And then also when we do that, then we can shift the culture in the hospital. And then that moves into shifting the policies too. There's a lot of tension around like, you know, what it's like to deliver in a hospital. As we know, there's um, a lot of things that lead people on a path towards having a really medicalized and technocratic birth. And you had the incredible experience of being able to have the births that you wanted in the spaces that you wanted and um, and in the way that you wanted, but you also were really clear on what it is that you desired and what you were going to do, what you weren't going to do. And, and we had like a plan in place for like, if we get to this juncture, what would be our choice, right? And a lot of people aren't really thinking about like the what if, they're just like, okay, this is what I hope for. And then when 
you know, shit goes left. <laughs> There's like, they're like, oh, wait, we didn't talk about this. What am I going to do? Right? right. And so if you don't have the support in place, whether it's been like with a virtual support partner or having a doula present or just doing childbirth education or having some sort of context for what the reality is, then you're really not prepared for what can happen once you enter into that system. It's completely different. And a lot of the things that are said to you when you go on your hospital tour and it's all like kumbaya, it's completely different when when you're enrolled and, and matriculated into the system and you're under watch until your baby arrives, right? There's so many things that can happen and so many things that can go completely right, but a lot of things that can, in a setting like, a hospital where you feel like there should be safety here, where things could go completely wrong. Right. What shocks me, and I guess I was not a believer originally because I wasn't originally planning to have a doula. And we just started with prenatal yoga. And and then I realized like, oh man, my husband and I don't, we've never done this before. And so she knows what's going on. And then my husband named you the birth producer. Yeah. Just because he's a director. So he's like, she produces births. Why is having a doula viewed as a luxury or as something for hippies? When I feel like back in the day, you were surrounded by a village helping you until some men stepped in um, and said, we're taking this this project over. But like in our modern society, like you are the village, right? That's mm-hmm. helping. So why is it viewed as like it's for the rich and it's for hippies? Yeah. So I think it's so interesting that you bring that up because when I've talked to people, in various circles are like, oh, I didn't realize that like it was for everyone. And so I think that, you know, branding is so important and interesting and someone who's in like, you know, in fashion and in retail and you know what it's like to create an experience and an ethos and and a brand ID that people identify with, right? And I think the same has happened in I mean, really in every space, right, there's some sort of brand through line, right? And what, what as it relates to birth, I think there's this kind of archetype that people are like hippies and they're, um, and there's, and also there are hippies that are part of this movement. It's not like it's, you know, one way, but I think that there's like a very narrow view that it's like maybe an older um, woman who's in the crone phase of her life, who's delivered tons of babies and the earth mama Gaia kind of vibe, right? And that um, it's a particular, you know, type of person who looks a certain type of way, that there's not like a, a various, you know, types of people who do this work. Um, I, think I just want to was- say, I don't want to interrupt you because when you say look a certain way, you have to look up what Latham looks like because this is like Miss Glamorous. Like my friend was like, that's the woman who's going to help you deliver your baby. She's so fancy and like put together. And I was like, she gets down and dirty. She has wiped poop off my butt. This woman, when she needs to get down and dirty. I'm ready. (laughs) She's ready. I'm always ready. So you definitely don't look a certain way. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Exactly. I think it's like, you know, we have to show that like everybody, you know, it's like when you hear about like spirituality and people are like, oh, you're in robes and garments and, you know, wearing all the trappings of being like a spiritual leader, like you don't need any of that. And so I think it's like you just are who you are, but you get called to do this work. And so, um, and that's what happened for me. But I think that, you know, traditionally when, you know, at the inception of this nation, we're actually in uh, 2019 right now. And so 400 years ago is when the first um, Africans that were forcefully brought to the United States arrived on the shores. And um, at that time, these are women who came with all of the knowledge from their homeland around birth and how to navigate a pelvis and medicine and plant medicine specifically. And brought this to the United States. These were the first Black granny midwives. And what they did at the time was not only did they deliver the um, slave babies, right? They delivered babies in the middle passage on the way here, right? In darkness, in the bellows of the ships. They delivered babies when they arrived. They delivered the children of the um, slave masters, they looked after those children as well as looked after the masters and the master's wives if there was no doctor present, right? So they were like the first, you know, midwives, but also like they were the the people who sort of created the rudiments of our modern medical system. They were very involved in um, a lot of the medical uh, technological advances as well as all of the uh, testing and evidence-based research that was happening, which was never really evidence-based at the time. It was all happening at the hands of slaves who were being forced to be operated upon um, to fix pathologies that would then um, help white women, right? And so, but also there was this whole idea that in chattel slavery, that slaves were a commodity, right? And so because of that, it was really important that they reproduced, right? So then you had the next generation of um, slaves that would be able to continue this this work that filled the economy, but also so that the women would be healthy. They could be able to reproduce, but they also would be able to continue to work, right? And so a lot of the medical advances were were developed because like chattel slavery was the the economic basis for wealth in this nation. And so from that spring, and then of course, embedded in all of that is racism. And it's horrifying what happened, obviously. There were all types of examinations and tests and surgeries that were done on um, these Black women without anesthesia. There were also, um, there was indentured servitude at the time with um, Irish women. And so with Irish people, I should say. And so Irish women were also um, subject to the same types of um, tests and uh, examinations as well as surgical operations and procedures and so forth. So, and there were slave hospitals whereby there was a lot of care taking place, but also a lot of women would be raped. And I mean, it was crazy what was happening, right? So this was like the foundation of our medical system, right? And then um, there were Black granny midwives who delivered all of the babies in particular parts of the South and who were revered for what they did. And there was, um, you know, when obstetrics was like nascent in its form, of course, like men decided to step in. And there's all these incredible medical journals you can read from the 1700s where there's op-eds um, where people are talking about how it's like sacrilege to have men involved. They should never be involved in delivering babies. And it would have been amazing if that was something that we pushed through because we saw, we see this direct correlation with the development of obstetrics 
and this sort of um, propaganda, right, that starts, um, that's against midwives. Because if you think about how midwives are perceived today, it's been hundreds of years in the making of propaganda to make someone think that um, it's they're less skilled than a doctor or they're less knowledgeable or, right? Yeah, I mean, I had people go like, oh, you had a midwife and then the doctor came in, right? And I'm like, right. no, I had a midwife. And Period. She, Period. That that was what I had. Right. And people are like, huh, they can do that? They, they can deliver a baby? They think you're just bringing in towels and like, and <laughs> just like hold crystals over you and sing and then somehow the baby's going to come. But they don't understand, right? And so that was the foundation. And I think that that, so the rebrand was about like, no, you know, it's all about doctors, you know, who are skilled and masterful and they can handle this. And there was also, if you think about- There was also the idea of like a woman doesn't know. She doesn't know. So they have to take control. They have to take control. And control, going back to like colonization, right? So it's the same stuff, right? So colonizing the body. So here we come- you know, you guys are doing this well, but here we come discovering things and being able to tell you we things. We know more than you. We know You're more weak. than you. We know more than you. And we don't even have the anatomy, but we know more than you, right? right? And so I think that that was the the basis. And then outgrowing from that was a lot of what we see as the birth disparities that persist to this day. The tap roots for that were were laid hundreds of years ago. Right. Yeah. So there's also something scary happening with New York State. Mm-hmm. and some laws about doulas and what would happen. So you you train doulas yes. from all various backgrounds uh, that can serve all types of women from different income yeah. levels and places. Yeah. So what is this terrible bill? Yes. That And what is it going to do? Okay. So the bill, I want to maybe read exactly, but the bill's called A364B. And I just want to read to you a section, um, the summary of the bill, which is that it authorizes the professional certification of doulas. Only those certified by the state may provide doula services defined as continuous emotional and physical support provided by a certified doula throughout labor and birth and intermittently during the prenatal and postpartum periods. So, so some people would say, oh, it's good to get certified by New York State, but tell me why it's bad and what's it going to do? So the state has no business, right? Like stepping in to tell you um, as people who have been doing this work outside, right, the system that um, the state has, first of all, no idea what this work entails, Um Legislators can't, unless it's the doulas presenting the bill themselves, um, legislators can't come in and tell people what it is that they need, how doulas should be certified, because certification will always vary based on like who provides the certification and where you get educated, right? And so if we create this kind of homogenous um, system and set of uh, educational protocol or pedagogy, then what ends up happening is that you create this group of people who are also homogenous, right? So if I need a specific set of um, skills or tools or want to work with somebody who has a particular background, um, we've now created a landscape where everyone's the same, right? Or where everyone who decides not to comply is now like non-compliant. And when you're non-compliant, 
that looks like you're out like a renegade or you're outside of the law or you're not complying with the law that starts to do what we see has happened with midwives in the past, which is criminalize or marginalize the work that they've done and and put them into a group outside, right, where they're seen as what we see today. It also makes it really challenging for people who have based their work um, for so many years on, you know, the foundation of uh, doula work that has been in support of women and families and their goals, not institutional goals or state goals, right? And so, when um, the idea this was brought forth so that there could be reimbursement provided for doulas to basically help to address the maternal health crisis by making sure that doulas were accessible, affordable, and that they could be reimbursed. I think the focuses need to be around the idea that we need to make sure there's a living wage, right? It can't be like $500 for a birth. We have to make sure that people who are doing this work can do it sustainably. And also, if somebody has to get their money based on the state certification and they have to get their money through the state, then if there's certain goals that have to be met and protocol, it makes you have to lean towards that, right? Making sure that you're meeting the state's goals and the institution's goals versus your client's needs, right? And so that'll really skew the type of service that's provided. The quality of life is impacted. How you're able to make a living is impacted by any laws, right? And because this work is non-clinical, why do we need to be under any type of law? We need to still operate outside the system. We, We know that this is happening. So it's like, it's not a matter of, you know, can we overthrow it? It's now a matter of how do we make it best suited for everybody involved and then make sure that other states that are implementing these laws also now can um, have a the best model to operate from. What can the listeners do to help? Yes. So I think right now the, the biggest thing that we can do um, is you know, stay on top of legislation wherever you're based, right? Look to see what's happening um, in terms of any bills being presented. Another piece is to when you're in, you know, in this election cycle, you know, as we move towards 2020, really be thinking about and be pushing for the policymakers and, you know, local people in your local government, um, our candidates that we're looking at for um, potential presidency, like what are their plans as it relates to maternal health? Really looking at um, also a larger conversation because we see that people will think that birth is um, is one issue and then they won't see like the larger issue that like this larger reproductive continuum. I'm going to say it for you. Some people only are focused on abortion and a woman's body and are not even thinking about the fact or worried about the fact that more women are dying in childbirth than women who want abortions. So no matter how you feel, you got to lump the two together because there's a beginning and an end to the cycle. And if we can stop just focusing on abortion and also worry about the U.S. is number one, of developed nations or number three of in women in di- dying in childbirth? Oh, my and God. Fe- and yeah, female mortality. Yeah, no, we're super, we're like 40-something on the list of it's, like places to disgusting. give birth in the world. Yeah. So it's yeah. safer to give birth in the jungle of Brazil than it is probably here. 
it's super safe to give birth in other countries. <laughs> and I've seen it and I've been like, dang, I wish I was, <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, I, I delivered in the birth center. It was amazing, but it doesn't exist anymore, right? It was shut down because of malpractice insurance premiums because people are greedy. So um, yeah, I think that, yeah, like there's a continuum, right? And it includes birth and it includes um, abortion and loss. It includes breastfeeding. Right. And it includes um, menstruation. Right. Like the fact that um, tampons are taxed as a luxury item is crazy. There's there's constant threats to um, our existence as women and to specifically legislation around our reproductive rights. And that doesn't just include if we decide to have babies or not or use our reproductive anatomy to carry a baby to term or not. I think that the a real issue to be thinking about is the the criminalization that we're, you know, placing on women for making a choice that they might make at a different point in their lives. Like really think about not the issue of life or death, right? The issue is a woman who chooses to have a baby, you know, who's ready to um, and for whatever reason she decides to, is also the same person that chooses an abortion at a different point in her life, right? And so there aren't like people who, you know, are pro-life or pro-choice. There are people who are like circumstantial, right? Like whatever's going on in my life, whatever has happened that led me to this moment, I have to make a choice. And oftentimes that's not really feeling like a choice, right? And so we have to to look at the people also who are fighting so you know, aggressively to, for people to not terminate their pregnancies. Okay, cool. So then what do you have on the other side in terms of resources and support for them? Right. Cause you're so fighting to protect, you know, the um, unalienable rights of uh, a fetus, but then when they get here, you're also trying to legislate against them and make sure they don't have access to clean water and food and shelter and housing and education. And aren't racially profiled. Right. I mean, all of it. Right. And so it's like we, you know, none of the arguments make sense. So we need to start to everybody who wherever they sit on the continuum needs to come and see that this is about reproductive justice, right? It's not about just, you know, one issue or the other issue. It's tying all of them together and looking at all of the intersections and the people who are on the margins for the information and for where to address our, um, where to put our energy first, right? Yeah. And that's the big issue, right? Is that nobody wants to do that. They want to just stay in their silo and, you know, over here. And another big piece I think that we can do as listeners is really understand and learn your body. I think that um, part of this uh, journey is also about pleasure, right? And joy and, and understanding also when we stand up and we make our signs and we go fight and, you know, shout till our voices can't scream anymore for our rights. Like you should know what you're fighting for. You should be able to name your parts and know that we have parts in our bodies, especially our reproductive anatomy that are named after men who don't even have the parts. And so our bodies have all have long been colonized and we have to understand that unwinding the system from within is also part of our work and to learn really the intricacies and how our bodies work and what makes them very special and in the process of, of standing up for our rights that we don't forget pleasure as part of that and, and reclaim our pleasure 
practice, right? And and I think it's a it's an always it's an always learning. Like I thought I knew my body real well. Yeah. And then I had to go see a woman to help me get my mojo back because mm. my um pelvic floor didn't exist anymore after this last baby. And she had her finger in me and she's like, you feel this muscle? And I was like, that's bone. She's like, no, 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 that's That's muscle. muscle. And I was like, I'm 100% sure that what you're feeling inside of my vagina is bone. And she's like, no. And and she taught me about this whole muscular structure that existed that was so weak from the last baby that I couldn't, you know, have my happy ending Mm -hmm. and like help get it back. But I was like, even after thinking I knew every facet of my anatomy Mm -hmm. and I was in tune with it, like there's always more to know is what I'm trying to say. There's always so much to learn and know. Yes. And that your pelvic floor is has been fixed everybody in case you're worried. I love it <laughs> yeah it's the spirit door of your pelvis this is like our this is this is our creative center right. and and it holds all of our reproductive anatomy in right the the pelvic floor organs um but it's also the seat of our pleasure and we learn so much when we go to the OBGYN they have these maps of our reproductive anatomy but nobody talks about our pleasure system which is the erectile network right and how pound for pound women have the same amount of erectile tissue as men but ours is all internal. We have to learn how to ignite it, right? Totally. And reclaim our orgasm and pleasure as part of this process. That's another podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. So don't fight the feeling. (laughs) (laughs) So where can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah, they can go to mamaglow.com, M-A-M-A-G-L-O-W.com. And I'm on Instagram as Glowmaven. You know, come... If you feel called to do doula work, come. We have a really awesome training in Miami. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That was Latham Thomas. I hope you loved our conversation. You might not want to have a baby after hearing what we talked about. You can follow her at Glow Maven. And uh, you should definitely look for her seminars. She does doula training. She has doula immersion all over and uh, she's just an all-around incredible human so thank you Latham for joining me today's review is from Kiki O'Now-K I'm new to podcasts and have unsubscribed to so many but this one never gets old I tell people how great it is and inspiring no matter your career path I've learned about so many amazing companies that I never knew were women made or run please don't stop doing what you're doing well good news is I have no plans to stop we are just getting started 